My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Hi, I'm John Hemminghouse, speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast, the ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. If you've been following this broadcast, you know that for several months now, we've been walking behind Christ and watching what he's doing as recording the gospel accounts in the Bible. Yet for the next three weeks, Pastor Jones plans to break away from his series in the life of Christ to examine the biblical account of the first Christmas in detail. The story of the first Christmas is found in two of the four gospels, and each account adds important details that we need to consider. In this first message in the series of Christ's birth, Pastor Jones will examine the special revelation God gave both both Mary and Joseph to prepare them for the difficult road they had ahead as the mother and stepfather of the Christ child. Both Mary and her betrothed husband had much to sacrifice to follow God's call upon their lives. Today we'll examine the issues both Mary and Joseph had to confront and the key attitude Mary demonstrated in agreeing to become the mother of the Christ. I hope you'll listen to this thought-provoking message and I imagine you'll learn something new as you consider the revelation of the first Christmas. Uh, with me. Um, you can see them up on the screen there. The f- they're in the order we'll deal with them. Luke chapter Chapter 1 is the first one, Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses 26 to 38. And then the second passage is um, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. And, uh, you know, um, what I'd like to do this Christmas season, I don't always get a chance to do this, but uh, this Christmas I'd like to take the different passages that deal with the Christmas account, the account of the first Christmas, and and deal with each of them. Okay, now, uh, so where I plan to go is today we're going to look at the revelation of the first Christmas. How do Mary and Joseph uh, become led of the Lord and of uh, to be involved in this thing? Because it's going to cost both of them. All right, it's not... Just simply, you know, a wonderful, exciting time. There's a lot of sacrifice that will be made going forward the rest of their lives by these two people, Mary and Joseph, in order to be part of, of uh, raising the Christ child. So that's our subject for today, the revelation of the first Christmas. Then, Lord willing, next week I plan to, to look at the wonder of the first Christmas. Actually, look at what happens then at the birth of Christ. And then the um, on the 18th, we have the confirmation of Christmas because do you think you'd ever question did this really you know is this really what God is doing and uh, so you'll see some confirmation uh, that's when we'll deal with the wise men because they, that doesn't, they're not there the first Christmas night I think most of you know that the wise men are not there until after Christ has been born I don't think it was a couple years I think it probably was a few months Okay, but they're thereafter. And something actually that happens in between the, uh, the coming of the wise men and Mary and Joseph, uh, is Mary and Joseph going to the temple with, with the Christ child? And so we'll deal with both of those accounts then on the 18th. You say, well, what are you going to do Christmas Sunday? I'm not going to be here. So, uh, Lord willing, I plan on being away with my family um, in West Virginia. Pastor Andrew will be here, Lord willing, and will be sharing with you at that time. So uh, those are, that's where we're going to go. Let's ask God's blessing upon his word as we get started. Father, we thank you so much for the privilege of looking into the account of the first Christmas. A lot of times we just uh, take one week or so, and so we don't get a chance to look at it thoroughly. And so I pray that this year might uh, be a challenge to us all as we really look and, and examine some of the scriptures, uh, hopefully in their context, uh, so that we can understand the story a little bit better. And not just merely... 
again, have some of the facts in our heads, but try to enter into what it would be like to be part of, uh, specifically this morning, um, the uh, being uh, put in Mary's role or put in Joseph's role, depending upon whether we're a man or a woman. Lord, what we, there's much to be learned from this. And so I pray that your spirit would be our teacher, that you'd help me to be able to be clear, accomplish what you want in our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's take them in the order they took place, and that is, first of all, is God's revelation to Mary, and specifically talking to her about, uh, and really, I believe, asking permission uh, for Mary to be the mother of the Christ child. And so we're going to pick it up at verse 26 of Luke chapter 1. It says, now in the sixth month, sixth month of what? Is it the sixth month of the year, or what is it? And I think if, if you look back just right in front of that, um, Elizabeth has just conceived a child. Okay, this is a, a relative of Mary's. She's been barren for all of her life. Elizabeth is an older woman. And this is um, it's on the border of miracle. I don't know if you'd call it miraculous, but it's, it's, it's you know, where it shouldn't happen any longer. Okay, so I believe that's what the sixth month is, and you'll see that as we get down a little farther. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of, of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Let's talk about, first of all, uh, the time. And again, I'll just mention again that it seems to me, as you get a little farther down in the passage, that sixth month that's mentioned here is probably the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Uh, notice the messenger. Who is the messenger here that comes to Mary? Gabriel. It's a specific angel. Okay, is sent to Mary. By the way, that's I, I tried to include two uh, two old paintings, um, one representing uh, the the dream to Joseph and the other representing the dream to Mary, and, and so you can see that one uh, for uh, and I forget how old that is. It's probably in the 1600s, something like that. That painting of the angel appearing to Mary. So uh, we have the messenger. I want you to also think about the woman. What does the scriptures tell us about Mary? Okay, the first thing it mentions, she's a virgin. Okay, so that means that, that uh, she has been uh, pure. She has a, um, uh, she's very obviously a godly woman. And so um, she's not married yet, and so she is still a virgin. Okay, what else do you notice about her? She's engaged to be married. Called, in that culture, betrothed. Okay, which is a very serious commitment that uh, was made in that culture. Now, um, let's talk about the guy she was betrothed to. Uh, his name is Joseph. We have that. What other information do you have about him? Okay, what's the, what's the significance of him being connected with the house of David? I'm sorry? Yeah, David's line was to have the kings. Now you say, well, Joseph isn't Jesus' father. That's correct. But there is a legal attachment to the line of David through Joseph. Okay, so it is important that Joseph is David's descendant. By the way, how long before Joseph did David live? Anybody know? Roughly? Quite a while. <laughs> a thousand years. I don't know about you, but I don't know my genealogy that far back. 
You get beyond my grandfather, and I get, I get fuzzy in a hurry. As a matter of fact, I don't even remember who my great-grandfather was off the top of my head. But that's not the case uh, with these people. They're very much uh, in, into that. I, I don't know if Joseph thought a lot about it, but he was a descendant of King David. And that is significant. Okay, now what does it mean to be betrothed? It's like engaged. Okay. Go ahead, Marie. Yeah, it's not the same thing as our engagement. It's more committed. You're correct. Matter of fact, and this is this is going to enter into this account. Okay, you're. It's like you're semi-married. If that makes any sense, like Marie was saying, if you died, you might have an, an inheritance because you're considered like his spouse. That's correct. Although there's no intimacy going on. Typically, the, the husband-to-be, the, husband we'd call him a husband-to-be, would go away and prepare a place for his wife, which is the imagery of John 14, by the way. Uh, yeah, Tony, you had a... It is a legal... What's that? Yes, it is. A legal pledge. As a matter of fact, the closest thing that looks like our wedding ceremony in the Jewish culture was the betrothal ceremony. Okay? And to get out of it, you had to write a bill of divorcement. That's how serious it was. If one of the, of the, of the um, partners that entered into this was unfaithful, it was considered adultery. And under Old Testament law, what was the penalty for adultery? It was death. Now, under the Roman Empire, the Romans were not allowing the Jewish people to, to do their own um, executions. You had to go through the Roman system. But still, this was a very, very serious thing. And that enters into our situation as well. So we know that uh, she's betrothed. She's betrothed to a man by the name of Joseph, a descendant of King David. Um, she uh, is obviously committed to marrying him. And to get out of this, you're going to have to write a bill of divorcement. Um, you also notice that... Um, um, a, um, I, I, well, I already mentioned those things. I'll, I'll go on. Let's go to the message. Okay, what does the angel say to her? He says um, several things here. It goes all the way down to verse 37. Let's just look. Uh, we read verse 28, right? So let's just talk about that for a second and then we'll move on. First of all, he calls her highly favored. That's where um, on the Roman Catholic side, you've heard people say, Hail Mary, full of grace. Okay, well, that's where this comes from. But the idea uh, of grace there is really favor. You are highly favored. Okay? And um, I, I, we don't believe... And I, I don't believe the scripture teaches, that's why I don't believe it, that Mary is a bestower of grace. She is highly favored. And there's a world of difference. It's not that we are giving grace out to other people like we have some store of it. Okay, that was, that's really the philosophy behind um, the praying to saints. And you've probably, many of you probably wondered, why do they do that? Well, in the Roman Catholic understanding, they, they look at people as, as having, especially the, the very righteous people, as having extra grace on their behalf. And so they can almost come to God and say, hey, um, you know, help so-and-so out uh, for my sake. And um, I, I don't think that's any of us. Uh, grace is something that we do not deserve. It's something that's not merited. And I think it's a misunderstanding of what grace is. But anyway, she's highly favored, okay? The angel tells her that. Tells her um, the rejoice there. Some of you may have a different word. It's, it's, it can be the idea of a greeting. Or, um, again, that's why if, if King James, I think it's hail, something like that. 
uh, it's, it, you can use it as a greeting or it can also be, be excited about this, be happy about this. It can, it can, you can translate that either way. Um, but it's definitely an encouragement to Mary. That's what's going on here. And let's keep reading. He says, um, You're highly favored. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. That would be extremely encouraging, would it not? You have found favor with God. He says, um, he says that God is with you. She has God's special presence upon her life. And the idea of being blessed among women. Um, uh, some of you, again, may be missing that statement. If, if you're missing it there, you f you'll find it down in verse 42. So again, it's one of those situations where people make a big deal out of something be missing in one verse. Reality is, he clearly, uh, it's clearly said later on whether or not it's there, so it doesn't make any difference. So encouragements for Mary. Then there's this calling for Mary. Mary's being called to do something. Verse 31. Behold, you will conceive in your womb, bring forth the Son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom, of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now, what's Mary's role in this? She's just going to be the mother. And obviously, she's going to have to raise this child um, for God's glory. So she's called to, be, to bear a son, specifically. And this son's uh, name, she's told what to name him, right? Jesus. Does anybody have a notice to what Jesus means? The Lord is salvation. By the way, it's not a one-of-a-kind name. It was a fairly common name. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, your name is Joshua. Okay? Or Yeshua. You may hear it pronounced that way today. So it's not like it's, it's a completely um, different name than anybody else would have. Uh, and yet, obviously, he's going to be the only begotten Son of God. Now, so Mary's job is to bear this child and also to call his name Jesus. Of course, with that, obviously, goes the responsibility of helping to raise him. I think that's understood. But there's then in verse 32 and 33, there's this description of what her son will be like. Okay, and this is important. Let's read it again. He will be great, will be called the son of the highest. Now, who's the highest? That's God. He's going to be called the Son of God. Can you imagine? And don't think that she didn't remember this. This would have been glued in her mind. Matter of fact, Luke tells us later on in chapter 20 that she kept all these things. She pondered them in her heart. I think if we had a visitation of an angel, we wouldn't forget it either, would we? I think she probably could quote it very well. Can you imagine rolling that one through your brain? He's going to be called the Son of the Highest? going to be called the son of God all right let's keep reading he says um, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David so by the way Joseph is not his father so how is Jesus a descendant of David Mary also 
is a descendant of David. That's correct. Matter of fact, in Luke chapter 3, you have uh, Mary's line. It's not specifically mentioned, but that's who it is. And it goes back uh, through uh, to King David. She also is a descendant of David. And so David is, in a, in a very real sense, an ancestor of the Christ, as God had said would happen. So she, he says to her that the Lord God is going to give him the throne of his father David. Now, you know how long it's been since Israel had had a king at this time? The last king that reigned on the throne of Israel was deposed about 586 B.C. Okay? Now this is, Christ is probably not born at 0 B.C. It's probably somewhere between 2 and 4 uh, B.C., not, not 0 A.D. And so, uh, or 1 A.D. So um, it's probably been about 580 years, roughly, since they've had a king. And the angel is saying he's going to be called the Son of God and God's going to, and isn't that the one that's going to put him on the throne? Is that what it says? The Lord God shall give to him the throne of his father David. Now, if we're still wondering who he is, he's called the Son of God. He's going to, have, he's going to sit on the throne of David. It says he will reign over the house of Jacob for how long? Forever. And, well, will that kingdom ever be conquered? It says end of his kingdom there will be no end. So I think it's, it closes all the loops here of saying to Mary, who is the child that she's going to bear? Who's he going to be? He's got to be the promised Christ. He's got to be. He's going to be called the Son of God. He's going to reign on David's throne. He's going to reign forever, and his kingdom is never going to end. Can you imagine getting that message? I'm told that women throughout Jewish history have longed to be the mother of the Messiah. And the angel comes to tell Mary, you're the one. Now, Mary needs some explanation. She asks a very reasonable question. Verse 34, Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I do not know a man? I'm a virgin. I, don't, I, I, I can't conceive. I've not been intimate with a man. How can she conceive as a virgin? And the amazing thing is Gabriel's stunning answer. Verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So what is the Gabriel saying is going to happen? What's he saying? God is going to place, the Holy Spirit specifically, is going to place the Christ child in your womb. That's what he's saying. And so he literally will be the Son of God. He'll be human through Mary, but he'll be divine, he'll be God through the implanting of the Holy Spirit. He literally is God the Son come to earth. One of the greatest mysteries of all time, of all eternity. So the answer is, a stunning answer is that the Holy Spirit will place the Christ child within her womb and her child then will be called the Son of God. Now, again, th th this is so shocking 
that Mary's going to need a little bit of, of, of evidence here. And so let's notice, if you would, um, verse 36. It says, now indeed, thank you folks for coming. Hope you find a seat. Oh, don't you feel sorry at all. We're glad to have you. Great. Thanks for joining us. We're in Luke chapter 1, at verse 36. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. See, that's why I believe the sixth month is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, why, why would the angel mention that? This seems like it's off the wall, doesn't it? Why would he mention that? I'm sorry? Well, I think in many ways, it, it, if it's not a miracle, it's close to it. You're right. You're right, Tony, that there's... Why else, Keith? Yeah, she, she certainly knew that Elizabeth was barren. That's correct. Yeah, Eric. In the same concept, she wouldn't know because it's not like they have text messages and whatnot, and Elizabeth hid it. Okay, so Mary does not know that Elizabeth's pregnant yet. You with me? This is a way for her to confirm it. Just like Eric's saying, there's no text messaging back then. Okay? This is a way for Mary to confirm this is not just merely she had this weird dream. Wouldn't you be tempted to think that? And just, just so you understand this, you know, it's the first thing that Mary does is after the, we're not, we're not done with what the angel said yet, but look down at verse 39. Now Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. She wanted to know. Is Elizabeth really expecting, and she got more than she bargained for. Elizabeth actually tells her that Elizabeth knows who she is carrying. For Mary has the chance to get the words out of her mouth. Again, confirmation that this was real. This is not, this is not some bad dream. She you know, ate pickles or something at night. This, this literally was happening. An angel had appeared to her telling her she would be the mother of the Christ child. Now, the angel wasn't quite done. Back up in verse 37, he says this, For with God, nothing will be impossible. Folks, that's, if you're going to argue against miracles, you're going to have to argue against God. That's what you have to do. If there's a God who really did create this world and really did set the laws of the universe up, then it would make all kinds of sense that if God wants to, he can suspend those laws. If there's a God that can give life and choose to give life as he, as he almost always does with the, with the relations between a man and a woman, but that same God can determine if he wants to that he's going to do it a different way. Now, does anybody, and you may not, because I've read through here a number of times, and that last statement, with God, nothing shall be impossible. Has anybody read that one recently in your devotions where you could, could pick out where that one came from? That's not the only time that's been said in the Bible. Or something similar. Okay? Put forth in a question. Go back with me. Keep your finger in Luke, but go back with me, please, to the, God, the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 18. And what's happening in Genesis chapter 18 is one of the, one of the few times in the Bible, in the Old Testament, um, again, there's several, but relatively speaking, there's few, when it looks like God himself shows up, and I would uh, submit to you is probably Christ himself appearing to Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. He's called the Lord 
and all caps, um, which is the, the sacred name for God. But we're, what, what's happening is, one of the things that's happening with this conversation that Abraham has with who, who turn out to be two angels and then Christ himself, is that he's being informed that Sarah is going to have a child. And so we're going to pick up at Genesis 18 and look at verse, start with verse 9. Then they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? So he said, here in, in the tent. She evidently was in another compartment. He said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. Behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. This would have to be a miracle. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? So when she heard that she was going to bear a child, she actually laughed to herself. Now it wasn't out loud. You can imagine it. She snickered. That sounds pretty funny. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself. Okay, verse 13. And the Lord said to Abraham, notice the, the, who's talking there, the Lord, said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Wouldn't that be scary when you hear someone just telling you what you were just thinking? You didn't even say it out loud? Notice this next question. Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's that same concept. With God, nothing shall be impossible. Is anything too hard for the Lord? So let's come back to our text, and I want you to think about the decision that Mary's going to have to make. Um, what's at stake for Mary? If she decides to be the mother of the Christ child, don't think it's all nativity scenes and people falling at her feet. That's not how it's going to work. What's at stake if she says yes to this? Okay, there's several things. So, uh, let me let me hear from you. Okay, Chuck, give me one. Uh, okay, so Ch Chuck mentioned a couple things. Her marriage. Okay, is Joseph going to tend to believe her? Would you? Honestly, how could you? How could you? Her marriage is at stake. Uh, her reputation. You mentioned that, right? I'll get to you, Eric, in just a second. Her reputation. Yeah, her basically her whole life. Okay, Eric. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. Physically your life, because, because of the fact that she would be considered an adulteress. So, again, normally they're not allowed to execute, but in, you know, there's the possibility still it would exist. Okay, because that was the penalty under the law. So you've, you've hit a number of them so far. You've hit the fact of, of, of loss of possible upcoming marriage to Joseph. She's betrothed to him. Possible be put to death. Almost certain humiliation. Chuck mentioned that one. Let me ask you this. Do you think anybody else would want to marry her in that culture? Very possibly not. She's going to be a single mom. And in that culture, that may not have worked very well. Also, you think about the poverty she might have been looking at. How does she make a living? To support her child. 
how about her parents and her family? They going to have a hard time believing this one? Okay? What are they going to say? So she very possibly is looking at poverty and trying to raise the Christ child all by herself. So what does she choose to do? Look at verse 38. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Now what does she mean by a maidservant? I'm sorry? She's basically saying, I'm a slave of the Lord. God, you have the right to tell me what to do. I am your slave. That statement really, honestly, as I was looking at it this time, ran through me. She considers herself as God's slave. And that, for that reason, it's not because I think Mary has these uh, uh, wild-eyed ideas that this is not going to cost her anything. I think she's wise enough to know that this may not be taken well. I don't know that the, the, that the, the Jewish women down through the ages believed when they thought of bearing the Messiah that they would be virgins to do it. I don't know that they understood that. We look at Isaiah 7.14 now and say the Scriptures prophesied that a virgin would conceive. But I don't know that they figured that one out. And so this is kind of off in the left field. It's like, okay, I'm going to be the mother of the Christ child. Great, but I'm going to be doing it without a human father? What is that going to mean? And her, the bottom line of her decision is, is that, God, I am your slave. You have the right to tell me what to do. And therefore, she says, let it be to me according to your word. My life is in your hands. I will give my life into your plan, whatever you want me to do. And you'll notice the angel of the Lord departs from her at that moment. That's quite a decision. Let's talk about Joseph now. We need to go to Matthew. You can leave Luke behind. You want to go to Matthew chapter 1. And we'll start at verse 18. And let's talk first of all about Joseph's shock. Okay, now he went through the betrothal ceremony with this woman, I, I believe. Um, again, not that, that there aren't exceptions, but I think we can reasonably assume that Joseph loves Mary. That's why he's wanting to marry her. And probably in the process of building a house for her, for them to live together, and looking forward to the day when, when they will be married. And so let's look at verse 18. Matthew 1, verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Now can you imagine that conversation going back and forth? And Mary saying, uh, Joseph, I got some... Well, I got some good news and I got some bad news. Well, give me the bad news first. How do you say it? I'm expecting. But the good news is, I've not been with anybody other than, uh, not, not even you, I've not been with anyone, and the truth is, is that this, the angel told me this is the Christ child. 
Now, when Luke uh, gave us his account, remember how Mary went with haste to see her, to, uh, her uh, relative Elizabeth? I don't even know that she talked to Joseph before. We don't really know that detail, whether she talked to him before she left to go to see Elizabeth or, or after. But that conversation doesn't seem to have really gone well. And can you blame Joseph for it? How in the world would the man ever be able to... It's not that he doesn't want to believe his wife. Now let's think about his decision. Because he's in the dark here. Verse 19. Then, jo when, then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Okay, now... I want you to think about this. Why didn't God give Joseph a revelation about Mary before she had to talk to him? Wouldn't that have been a lot easier? If Mary said, Joseph, I got something to tell you. And Joseph, stop Mary. I already know what you're going to say. You're going to give birth to the Christ child. God told me. Is that correct? Yes, it's correct. They hug each other. Oh, it's so wonderful. We both know. That's not how it went. And God could have done it differently. Think about that. He didn't choose to do it that way. And in a very real sense, this godly man, it's called a just man here, is twisting in the wind with a really, really, really tough decision ahead of him. I think that's right, Mike. I think God is testing Joseph. And so we need to enter into that test. We need to think about that. What would it be like Here's this woman that you love, that you really have, I'm sure, have a great respect for her godly character. It's probably one of the major reasons why you want to marry her. She's, she's a godly woman. It's obvious. And now she's coming to you with this idea that, that, that she's expecting and she's not been disloyal. And, and what are you going to do with that? So let's notice what he decided to do. Back in verse 19, he He's a just man. He's not wanting to make her a public example. Now, what does that mean? Make her a public example. Okay, if they can't execute the adulter adulteress, then evidently they would humiliate them. And Joseph is saying, he's got enough doubt about what's happened here. He's saying, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to humiliate her. But what was he going to do? He was what? Well, when he says he's going to put her away, what does that mean? Does anybody have a note on that to put her away? He's going to divorce her. That's exactly right. He's going to have to write her a bill of divorcement. So he's actually saying, I, I'm sorry, I, 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 there's enough doubt in my mind. I can't do this. I can't, I can't, and, and, can you understand Joseph struggling with this, even with his family? What they might say? Can you imagine Joseph's mom saying, Look, Joseph, I don't know, but you, you, you can't marry this girl. Think of what it'll do to our family reputation. Think, think of the fact that if she's telling you and she really believes and she seems like she's sincere, does that mean that she's going insane? Or is she just really a good liar and we didn't know it? Or maybe there's a demonic influence going on. What's, we, we, but it's, it's too, it's too um, iffy, Joseph. You just shouldn't enter into this thing. If he does marry her, what does that do to Joseph's reputation? 
Do you think some people would assume that he was the father out of wedlock? What might the neighbors think? By the way, Nazareth is not a big town. It's a one-hole town, folks. Think along the size of Milanville. Okay? Not very big, really. Don't think that this wouldn't be noised about. Can you imagine the struggle going through this man's mind? Is he crazy to marry her? Would he, would he just be following his emotions? Again, what would the neighbors think? What would his family think? So his decision is, I can't, I'm not going to humiliate her because it, I, I can't say that God couldn't do this. I'm also, I just can't marry her. And you'll notice his confusion because he's not, have you ever made a decision and you know it's the right thing and you can kind of just put it behind you? I've, I've, I've done the right thing. Not worried about it. That's not where he's at. Look at verse 20. But while he thought about these things, he's still struggling with this decision. Behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David. Now there it is again. Here the angel is pointing out that Joseph is a son of David. That's something. I don't know how much Joseph thought about it, but the angel certainly did. So now we see Joseph's dream here. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, if you're Joseph and you had that dream, what's your, what's your reaction to it? Yeah, it's confirmation that, you're, that Mary was true. Mary was honest. That's right. And I think this really, I, I don't think we can imagine, folks, how, how encouraging this would have been to Joseph because of all that he had been through with, with, with this situation. At the same time, when he steps up, if he, deci- if he decides to step up and marry her, don't you think his reputation is going to take a hit too? I think it definitely will. And I think there's a lot of people that probably would be either saying Joseph is a fool to marry this woman that has been unfaithful to him or, hey, maybe Joseph was the dad after all. But he gets the confirmation from the angel that a son is going to be born and that son is to be called Jesus, same name that Mary was given, which means Jehovah or, or, or Yahweh saves, and that Jesus would save his people from their sins. But we notice something that I don't know that Joseph or Mary understood at this point completely, and that is, it was God's plan, was it not? Verse 22, So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Where is the prophet, where, where is, was that statement made? It's in your Old Testament. Does anybody have a, have a reference there? 
Yeah, it's Isaiah. Does anybody have a chapter? Chapter 7, verse 14. Very good. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 is when this statement was made. It was 700 years before it was fulfilled. So what's Joseph's response? Verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. So Joseph's response, I'm sure there is a lot of joy in that. He takes Mary as his wife with, with a good conscience, realizing that she has been faithful. You'll also notice he does not have sexual relations with Mary until after Jesus was born. Um, but it's clear, I think, as you read that, that they did um, have sexual relations after Jesus' birth, and, and, and that's why Christ will have uh, uh, stepbrothers, or, or half-brothers, excuse me. And you'll notice that he calls the child Jesus just as God had instructed. All right, so let's try to draw some conclusions from these two accounts. First of all, we see that God not only informed Mary of her privilege of being the mother of his son, but he also secured her permission. And I just ask you this question. If you were in Mary's sandals, would you have been willing to follow God's plan at such a great cost? Because it was a cost, folks. It was. And the whole birth thing hasn't even begun to happen yet, okay? We look at it as a very beautiful thing. It must have been horrific looking to them. But I want you to think of the cost. You're talking about all of your plans of marriage and of a happy home and, and, and you know, just you're being around your loved ones and your friends and all those dreams that you'd have and literally they're all being just flipped over. And God's putting out a very big question mark over your future and saying, are you willing to do this? To follow me, to, to, to do my plan for your life. Another thing we have to think about, number two there, is that Mary's life dramatically changed because of God's call. There's no doubt about it. Her reputation would, would not be the same. If you wanted to believe bad of Mary, you could. Matter of fact, as it will be described by uh, Simeon in the temple after Christ's birth, shortly after his birth, he described it as, he said, a sword will go through your heart. He spoke that specifically to Mary. A sword will go through your heart. Mary would be at the cross, folks. She would see her son crucified. Can you imagine putting that one together? After the angel said, he's going to be sit on the throne of his father, David. Don't think that she had all the, the scholarly work that we can read about and explain how Christ is going to die and reign and all of that. How is she going to put that one together? Her life is dramatically changed because of God's call upon her life. Think about a couple other things here. And that is Mary chose to obey God at a great risk to her future. Could have been that she would have been raising this child all by herself for all she knew. In poverty. You'll also notice that she considered herself God's slave to do God's bidding. Which I think is the key to the whole thing of her decision. Because it does not look clean. And it's not going to look clean going forward. And both Mary and Joseph were called to suffer for following God's will. 
But when we put it in that light, we also have to say that both Mary and Joseph had more meaningful lives for their call, don't you think? We look at her now and we're so glad that she was willing to be the mother of the Christ child. Her life has absolutely eternal significance, as did Joseph's. God used him to protect uh, uh, Jesus as an infant on several occasions. But I would say number seven to me is, is, is an important thing to grab onto, and that is the mentality of God's slave is a key to a meaningful life. And I'd like you to, to you can leave Matthew 1 behind now, and I'd like you to go to Matthew chapter 16, and we'll just look at this one particularly as we begin to wrap this up. Matthew chapter 16, now, of course, this is as Christ now is an adult, and he's preaching and he mentions what um, is the concept of dying to self. Matthew chapter 16. I'm picking it up at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Deny himself. Do you think Mary wanted to throw her in betrothal up in the air like she had to do? Do you think she wanted to have that conversation with Joseph and try to explain to him that she was the mother of the Christ child, but that she didn't have a human father? Can you imagine that one? That, that, that she's carrying a child without a human father and he's supposed to believe it. I, I, can you imagine Mary taking that, um, uh, that truth to her parents? Now we're called to deny ourselves to follow the Lord. Verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. If Mary had said, you know, God, I appreciate the offer, but let somebody else do it. I, I'm going to get married. I got plans. If you'd have come to me maybe six months ago before I was betrothed, maybe I'd She doesn't do any of that. She decided to lose her life. Again, verse 25, whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And although her life was not easy, her life was eternally significant. Verse 26, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his, his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So if Mary had decided just to live life for herself and she had a nice house and she lived around her parents and her, and her family and everything was hunky-dory and Joseph just went on as if, as if the call never happened, uh, she'd have really thrown away her life. That's what the Lord is saying. That there are decisions that you and I make and we have no idea where they're going. But the reality is they can make an eternal difference not only in our lives but the lives of many people around us. And so let me just give you a couple thoughts to wrap this up. First of all, many professing Christians have an employee attitude toward God. Not a slave attitude, an employee attitude. What's the difference? Well, an employee, why do you work? Right, for, for personal gain. And that's sometimes how we live unfortunately, before God. I've seen this attitude in my own heart many times, and that is I'm serving not for God's glory, but for my personal gain. 
An employee might go on strike if conditions get bad. Have you ever gone on strike on God? Well, if that's the way it's going to be, if serving you is going to cost me that much, if you can't, then I am out of here. How many people have done that with God? Why? Because they have an employee attitude. An employee might look for other employment. I'll live life for myself. I'll make the decisions. I don't want God calling the shots. It's not going well. An employee is concerned about his personal rights. I want better conditions. I want a fairer situation. We understand that as an employee, but when it comes to God, folks, that's, that's not our call. The employer's commands to an employee are ultimately an option. I can always quit. I can walk off. But that's not the attitude of the slave. Godly Christians, and let's be honest, there are few of them. Godly Christians serve God not for their own gain, but for God's gain. Godly Christians who have the slave mentality, they, they have no thought of going on strike. They never consider serving anyone else. They do not concern themselves with their own personal rights. And the master's commands must be obeyed. And that was Mary's mentality. I don't think she's just completely naive. Although she may not have figured out and thought through all those conversations she's about to have with people, I think she had enough wisdom to understand my life right now is, is very uh, possibly being flipped on its ear. People may not understand this. But I am the handmaiden of the Lord. I am the slave of the Lord. So be it unto me according to your will. And although Joseph's choice may not quite have been that stark, it certainly was also going to involve sacrifice of his reputation. Uh, maybe friends, family members that would not understand. But he followed God's will with the same type of loyalty and love. And so I challenge you this morning to be a love slave to God, not an employee. Many people come to Christ with this idea that God's going to make my life better. And can I just say to you, that is not what Jesus taught. He didn't say it was always going to be better. Matter of fact, he said this, to follow me is to take up your cross. May we have the attitude that we see in these two individuals, Mary and Joseph. God, you have the right to the very to all of my life. You're my creator. I am your slave. Father, thank you for the example of Mary and Joseph. Lord, their lives were not easy because of the decision that they made. But they made those decisions really out of a love for you, a desire to follow your plan, a willingness to sacrifice in order to do your will. And follow your call. Oh Lord help us. This is the attitude that we as Christians ought to have. Because you are worthy of this. Father you have rescued everyone who is saved this morning. You've rescued us from eternal hell. We owe you everything. May we forgive us for the foolish selfish attitudes that we often have. To think that you owe us. 
comfort and ease. That you owe us these blessings that we have in our minds and hearts and constantly judging your fairness to us. Oh Lord, deliver us from that attitude. May we follow your call, we pray. And I pray for any who may be here today and the truth is they've never given their heart to Christ. Lord, we cannot offer them an easy life. That is not what the scripture teaches. We can offer them an eternally significant life. A life that is pleasing to you that you will bless and you will take and use for your eternal glory and yes, for our eternal good. But I pray, Lord, for any who are lost that you'll help them to understand you are worthy. You have sent your son. It's why he came at Christmas, to die in our place so that we could be forgiven. And we pray for an understanding of that to permeate their hearts. Bless us this wonderful time of the year. May we think on these things and learn from these uh, important uh, characters in the whole account of the first Christmas, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. How often do even truly saved Christian people look at the relationship with God more as an employer-employee relationship rather than a slave-master relationship? Though it may not sound politically correct, God is not our employer who hires us and pays us off for serving Him. Instead, we need to recognize that God is creator of the universe, the one who gives us every breath we breathe, and who deserves our loyal worship. Further, God sent His Son Jesus into the sin-cursed world specifically to save us from our sins and the hell that we justly deserve for the rebellious acts we have committed against Him. Therefore, true Christians consider themselves slaves of their Lord, not out of mere duty, but out of gratitude and love. At Christmas, we celebrate God's love in sending Christ to earth as a man to rescue us and set us free from our sins and their just consequences. Thus, like Mary, we voluntarily choose to consider ourselves God's slaves out of our love for and trust in Him. If you would like some spiritual help, like counseling or prayer, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. If you'd like to listen to this message again, the link to our podcast is at radiobold.com slash Baptist. Are you looking for a simple Christian service to attend on Christmas Eve? If so, let me invite you to join our congregation at Calkins on Christmas Eve at 7 p.m. in our church sanctuary. The worship is simple with traditional Christmas hymns and scripture to match the songs. The service is about an hour in length and many have been blessed by taking time to reflect upon the scriptural account of the first Christmas and to rejoice in the gift of God's Son. Please feel free to join us at 7 p.m. on Christmas Eve at Calkins Baptist Church on 527 Calkins Road, Milanville, Pennsylvania. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. And everlasting life and light, he frees.